Thanks, John, and worship team, and everybody who uh, did all that you did to help us uh, worship today. Um, I always like when we can work in songs about the Trinity, so uh, I think we had two out of three, so that was good. Um, we're continuing in our study here of, uh, almost finished here, actually just two more, um, two more sermons, and last week, you know, it's kind of like, hey, that seemed to be, that seemed to be it, that was you know, the phrase, faith, faith working through love, and, and, um, and it's not it, uh, because Paul wasn't finished uh, unpacking all of this. It was a great statement that he made, but, but there's more, and he's going to explain the more to us, to us here. Um, you know, before I begin, you know, I, I, you know today is like, uh, you, know, you know, people are back into you know, football and other than, than one particular college stadium, every other stadium's full of people cheering. Um, but you know, one of the hard things about watching sports with uh, people who don't totally understand sports, and I'm not talking about my wife, um, but you know, like your team will be playing the other team and the other team will have to make one more play, and you know the quarterback will drop back, and he throws the ball, and the ball gets intercepted. Game's over. We win. What are you supposed to do when you win? You're supposed to say, "Yes, we won. Yes, that ball fell incomplete." On more than one occasion, sometimes I'll be watching sports with someone who may or may not be my wife, her first response is, I feel sorry for that quarterback. <laughs> it's like, would you rather be happy for that quarterback? And he completed that pass, and now the other team's celebrating. Would you prefer to lose? But, you know, that kind of brings up something that's, that's true, though, about the world. If we, if we really care about people, then, you know, we care when, when they lose, there's none of these, you know, except fake ones that people make up, which then become meaningless, um, everybody wins scenarios. You know, um, this, I used to uh, help my daughters. Um, one of my daughters played basketball in this league that was going where it wasn't like everybody wins. It was nobody wins because we're not keeping score. Um, people kept score. Our team always knew what the score was. We made sure at halftime they knew what the score was. Even though there was no score anywhere, we kept score. And the kids knew. Kids weren't, you know, they knew like, ooh, that guy just scored 10 baskets. They knew that. But we like to try to create this. We try to create this everybody wins scenario. And, and I've talked about this from the perspective of the cookie, right? We, 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 we come up with all of our, you know, our, our grandiose plans for how everybody's going to win. You know, 19th century, full of utopian ideas. And all of those ideas fall apart. They fall apart when two kids want the same cookie. And of course, we're talking about more than cookies. If it just stayed with cookies, that'd be fine. But all of these utopian ideas, all of these everybody wins scenarios fall apart when people want the same land, when they want the same position, the same power, 
the same resources, the same wealth, when they want the same honor, the same award, same status, and even when we get down to like in a more personal level, when they want the same person, the same lover, the same spouse, all these everybody wins scenarios, they fall apart. And, and yet, we keep putting that out there. People keep believing them. And, you know, the way that the world defines freedom and love, they're, they're contradictory. They're always going to be in opposition. You, you, you cannot have freedom and have love. They're not the way the world understands it. Paul talked about that. He said at the end of verse 15, of, uh, he's, at the end of last week's sermon, verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. He's, he's going to say something similar at the end of this section about how we have to be careful about becoming conceited and provoking one another. Because if we follow the way of the world, that's, that's where it leads. Eventually, we may all start out, everything's good, walking hand in hand, you know, singing kumbaya, whatever, marching forward, everything's great. And then, what happens when people disagree when people want the same thing or the same person, it all falls apart. You see, the only way we have an everyone wins scenario is if we have the right definition of faith, the right definition of freedom, the right definition of love, and the right definition of winning. That's what Paul is going to present today. He's going to say, this is winning. This is what it means where everybody can win. But you have to accept the definitions of freedom and love. And it all begins with faith in Jesus Christ. See, because of the world's you know, contrary um, definitions and their their failed utopian ideas, they, 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 they don't understand that, that all of the things that they say that will work aren't gonna work. Our only hope is the hope that Jesus offers. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we have the ability and the freedom to love as only God can love. And if we cannot love the way God loves, we can never create an everybody wins scenario. See, winning is the kingdom. Properly understood, the right definition of winning, it is the kingdom of God. And as we're gonna read today, the way that the kingdom of God is described 
which unfortunately, the main description of the kingdom of God often gets lost because we're thinking about all these other things that the kingdom could be, but the way that the kingdom of God is described, where else, what else would you want to be in forever? And so Paul is, again, finishing this letter, and, and we're here in, this, in chapter five, and remember this, we have to remind ourselves of the context that you, you know, you have Paul who's, who had gone in to this area called Galatia, and he had, he had helped start churches there and, and helped encourage the Christians and spent some time there and had actually gone back at least one other time. And everything seemed to be good. Everything seemed to, you know, like they, they were getting it, they were growing just like other churches that he had started. But then these this, these people that we call Judaizers, we don't know what they would have called themselves. They considered themselves Christians, but they were Christians, at least they considered themselves Christians, but they, they, they believed that, that there was this, this need to be like, like fully Jewish and not ethnically Jewish, obviously that wasn't, that wasn't possible, but you had to be religiously Jewish. If you really wanted to be fully a Christian, you had to go this, this, this next step. And of course, Paul, is, who himself is Jewish and has done everything every good Jew would do and more and probably is continuing to do them, even though he's practicing all these things, and for him it would have been easy to say like, oh yeah, let's just add those things. It would have been easy because he'd already done them. It wasn't like he was thinking only of himself, like, oh man, now I gotta go do all those things. No, he, he, he says this is a problem. And the problem is, is that you are actually bringing back this idea of the gospel of works, the gospel of the law, the gospel of human effort, human goodness. And you think you can marry the gospel of grace with the gospel of the law. And Paul has spent much of this letter saying, no, they, they cancel each other out. You cannot have this hybrid. You know, we, we live in a day and age where we love the hybrid things. You know, I've always ta told you about the wonderful discovery for me of, of Korean tacos. You know, we think that we can bring stuff together that you know, that our grandparents would have been like, no, there is Korean food and there is Mexican food. You cannot mix them. And that's how it was, right? But, but now we, like, we live in a world of fusion. You know, let's bring stuff together. And so 2,000 years ago, these people are like, hey, let's just bring this stuff together. Paul, we're not denying Jesus. We're not denying salvation, we're not denying faith. We're just, we're just adding to it. The problem. And so Paul had finally brought them to that, that great statement last week where he's like, look, even the argument you guys are having, it's wrong. The whole focus is wrong. The focus isn't on rituals, and in this case, he was talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. 
The focus should be on faith and what effects faith is having in your life. Do you know faith that is working through love? Do you have both of those? And when he was talking about faith, he was talking about faith in Jesus Christ. When he was talking about love, he was talking about God's unconditional, sacrificial love that far exceeds anything that any of us can do. You take the best human being, the best ability for a human being to love, and it is, it is nothing compared to the pure, unconditional love of God. And so he's brought us to this point. And, and, he, and he had, again, ended that last part by saying, you know, be careful, be careful. You go back to this gospel of the law. You introduce it. You make it a part. This is what's going to happen. You're going to start consuming one another. And now he gives the other side. He says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's like, this is it, guys. This is it. I told you, watch out. Watch out. But if you're walking by the Spirit, it's going to take care of that problem. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, Paul's been making this point, and now he just makes it again. He just drives it home. He says, Spirit, law, they, they prevent one another. If I'm doing stuff only because it's the rules, it's the law, I cannot be doing it because it's by the Spirit. If I'm going to do things by the Spirit, I may end up, and in fact, Jesus says, we will end up fulfilling the law. But I'm doing it because I'm walking by the Spirit, not because I'm trying to keep the law. They cancel each other out. When I try to keep the law... I am trusting in my abilities to keep the law. When I walk by the Spirit, I am embracing God's grace and God's love to say, I can't do this, God. I can barely love my friends. You want me to love my enemies? I have a hard time showing gratitude to people who are nice to me. You want me to to show gratitude and want to bless people who are trying to hurt me? I can't do it. And if I do it, I'm really just kind of doing it. I'm doing it because I'm supposed to, not because it's my nature to do it. It's the big difference. And he's trying to make that point. And if you walk by the Spirit, that will prevent you from giving into the flesh. Because you're walking by the Spirit. But I want to make sure you understand something. Because unfortunately, 
Again, people take this stuff and they run with it and they take it out of context and, and, and they, they believe that walking by the Spirit means, oh, you mean I just kind of feel my way through life. You know, Christianity, I'm a Christian, I got a Spirit. I just do whatever I feel is good, I feel is right, what I feel the Spirit is leading me to do. No, it's, it's, that's not what it is. It isn't like, oh, you know, don't need the Bible or, yeah, I'll open the Bible sometimes. But I can just now, I can just leave behind the Bible because I have the Spirit and I can just live by the Spirit. No. It's not simply doing what feels right. It's not some general sense of goodness or love. It's not walking aimlessly. It's talks, you know, Jesus talks about the Spirit guiding us and teaching us. But it's like, well, what is he teaching us? New stuff? No. He's teaching us what Jesus has already taught. And you might go, well, why do we need the Spirit? Because Jesus wasn't a good teacher? No, it's because we're terrible students. That's why. Jesus taught all these things even to his own disciples. You know, the Gospel of John, I, I sometimes wish that this was included because I think, um, you know, at least 37 times in the Gospel of John, it should said, and then Jesus slapped himself in the forehead because of the stupid thing the people just said. Because it happens again and again and again. Jesus says something and he's talking about something spiritual, and his own disciples interpreted it again and again as earthly. And Jesus was like, oh gosh, not again. Not again. How many times do I got it? Even all the way up to, to the week that he dies, they still don't get it. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, but we also need the Word. Because through the Holy Spirit, we're able to better understand the Word. In fact, not just understand it, but understand the Word in such a way that the Word is alive and transforming us, changing even more so who we are in Christ. It's not this aimless wandering around. It's not this subjectivism. We need God's word. But the other problem we have with walking by the spirit is people interpret that individualistically. Like, I walk by the spirit, you walk by the spirit, you walk by the spirit, we all walk by the spirit. It's like, no. That's not what it is and yet that's the major conception people have. And that's, that's a very modern interpretation of the Bible. If you go back through church history, when it talks about the Spirit and the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and the Spirit teaching us and guiding us, it's the Spirit working through the church. It's the Spirit working through the community of faith. It's not like individual Lone Ranger Christians walking around just interpreting the Bible, interpreting 
goodness, God's direction on their own. That's never presented in Scripture. And it's not until you know, the last several centuries that we as Christians have increasingly moved to that interpretation of the Spirit's work in our lives. We need each other. But look at what Paul's doing there. He does some kind of subtle things here. He's, he's saying walk by the Spirit. And in the New Testament, they often use, and it's not just the New Testament, it's part of in Greek, we use the same image. Walking, he actually means live. It means live by the Spirit. But notice he says live by the Spirit, but when he talks about the flesh, he doesn't say or live by the flesh. Because Paul is kind of established, if you're gonna follow the flesh, you're not really living. You are enslaved. You are captive. You have no choice. You think you have choices. That's the great you know, trap of, of, of the enslavement to sin. You think you have choices, but you don't. You're just gratifying the flesh the desires of the flesh. And so he pictures these two things and then he drops the bomb. And this is the bomb that we miss because we're not there. Remember, this letter was first read out loud to all of the people in the church together. They're probably gathered in a pretty small room and you know who knows how many were there. And this letter is read out loud. And Paul has been making a comparison between walking by the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. And some of the people might have been thinking like, yeah, 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 okay, Paul. You know, I'm, you know we still don't agree with your earlier argument, but yeah, we agree, desires of the flesh. And maybe they were interpreting that as being like, like, like lusts and things like that. Then look what he does at the very end of this section. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul is saying, those of you who want to live according to a code, a code of ethics, a code of law, a code of morality, that's what you want to live by, and that's how you are going to achieve goodness, you are still enslaved to the desires of the flesh. You know what a shock that was? Because they thought by following the, the, what the rituals and the circumcision and the sacrifices, they thought by doing that they were going to become holier. And Paul goes, no, you're not going to be holier. You're... you're just continuing to feed the flesh. He's talking about all of those other things that we consider bad things, and he's going to talk about them in a second, the desires of the flesh. But here specifically, before he goes into talking about all these negative things, he says, guys, you need to, all those things you were thinking about, desires of the flesh, oh yeah, those are bad, bad, bad. Being a legalist, it's the desire of the flesh too.
You see, because under the, if we follow the gospel of law, we're still enslaved to the flesh. We've just simply redirected, we've redirected our, you know, the things we think we need to do. So if they were Gentiles, a lot of them were probably felt they were better Gentiles, good Gentiles. And then like, oh, okay, so now we'll just change our Gentile morals and rules to these Jewish morals and rules. By the way, we do the same thing. You know, we substitute a relationship with Jesus Christ to keeping a set of morals and rules and following rituals. We put too much emphasis on our ability to do things and not enough on the Spirit working through us. Well, Paul gets a little, uh, a little more direct here because he just talked about the desires of the flesh and he just said you're not under the law. So he's talking about being under the law as being a desire of the flesh. And then he says what they expected to hear. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you look at this list and it's, you know, Wednesday night we defined all of these. So if you're not sure what some of them mean, you know, um, you know I can send you some of the notes from Wednesday night. But, you know, you look at this list and and, you know, we, we talked on Wednesday night about, you know, can you categorize some of these on this list? Um, why are they in this order? Are some more important than others? Um, I, you know, I've read different things about, you know, ways they could be categorized, why they're in this order and all of this. And, you know, there's a lot to be said there, and I don't really want to say it this morning. Instead... I want to tell you what I think the overarching you know, category for all of these things are. That, that if we live by the flesh, it will inevitably lead to one or more of these things. And what all of these things have in common is they will break down a healthy society. They will break down a healthy community. The desires of the flesh destroy healthy community. And so what Paul is, is, is telling them, what he's trying to help, help them understand is like, this isn't just, oh, you know, I, I, I just... I can just, you know, do this and, you know, maybe I'll try it for a while and then, no. He says, this is where it leads. It leads to these things. And, you know, often, you know, we, we find in the way that, um, that, that things were written in the New Testament that, that often towards the center is where the most important things are. 
And if I were to think about like, what was like the biggest threat? What is the biggest threat to the churches in Galatia if they keep following the works of the law? It's, it's right there in the middle where it starts with enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. In fact, I really believe that these things were already happening. Paul was saying this because he knew that by saying it, they would be like, oh yeah, we're already dividing. We're already spending all our time angry with one another. We're already starting to develop, like he talked about last week, like why do you hate me? When you used to love me, when you used to be willing to give your eyes to me, and now you, you hate me. And he's like, that in and of itself should be evidence that this gospel of the law is not the right direction. If the gospel of the law was leading to a greater love for me, if Paul, was, if Paul was saying that to the Galatian church, if you follow the gospel of the law and that leads to a greater love for me, a greater love for each other, a greater desire to serve one another in love, all right, maybe we can talk. But he knows that's not true. And he knows what will happen because he has centuries of evidence of this exact thing happening. That even if you might feel kind of smug, like, you know, I'm not sexually immoral. You know, sorcery, yeah. I don't even watch Harry Potter. I mean, you, you, could, you could say all these things, but Paul's like, let's talk about these things that are kind of in your heart. Things I know that are in your heart because I've felt them expressed to me from you. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. You see, what Paul is trying to help them understand is that when you, when you just try to keep an external code when you have an external code, no matter what it is, you can say it's handed to you from God. It doesn't matter. If you're keeping an external code, what you are saying is, I don't need to change. I don't need to be different. My actions just need to be different. I'm actually a pretty good dude. I just needed to be told the right things to do. Paul saying, no, when you keep this external code and some of you are way better at it than others, all you're really doing is masking. You're masking the desires of the flesh. You're masking this selfishness. You've, and you've pressed it down so far and maybe you get complimented so much or maybe somebody even wants you to be a pastor or a leader in some ways and you're a respected Christian but all you do is you have a morality that is covering up who you really are because you don't really think you need to be transformed. 
And that's the whole gospel message. The gospel message is, yeah, you can keep the laws, but you are still not righteous. Because to be righteous, you have to be transformed. And you're transformed through faith in Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And we also know that this, whenever we have our, our external code, that it doesn't necessarily produce healthy communities. Because for that code to be the code of the community, well, what's going to have to happen? Well, first of all, we're going to have to agree on the code. And second of all, we've got to figure out how to make people follow it. And the reason Paul can say, people who do these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's because what the kingdom of God is diametrically, diametrically opposed to all of that. It's, it's like people who want to live this way according to the desires of the flesh, why would they want to be in the kingdom of God? In fact, if they came into the kingdom of God, all they would want to do would be to destroy it or to make it more like what they want and the way they think it should be. That's kind of like, again, what's happening in the modern church and modern Christianity. And I'm not talking about music and I'm not talking about you know, whether the pastor wears a tie or not. I'm talking about important essential doctrines. I'm talking about the authority of God's word itself. That people say like, I, I, I want to be in the kingdom. You know, I want to be a Christian. I want to be there. Ooh, ooh. Paul, man, yeah. You said some things I'm not comfortable with. Could we just kind of push those on the side? Could we just ignore those? Or could, can we treat those not like, like authority? Can we just treat them more like advice? General advice that I could follow or maybe not follow. And, and we have people that, that when, when the Bible or when our beliefs don't go with what culture is saying, what culture is defining as right and wrong. Oh, can we change it? We're just going to change it. We're just going to, you know, do it, do it this way. It's like, you know, the picture is like if you went to, if God had a house, and you went to his house, and you went, you know, God, I've got some ideas about what you can do with these windows. You know, and the paint, it's just not right. So you're gonna tell the perfect, all-wise God of the universe how to decorate his house. And yet people do this all the time. People who consider themselves Christians do this all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll go to the kingdom. 
as long as I get to modify it so it kind of goes with me. I've always had the picture of you shall not inherit the kingdom as though, you know, God probably, he doesn't, God do it, he probably has Peter, you know, St. Peter standing there saying, you shall not pass, you shall not enter, stay out. But it's like, no, that's not what's going to happen at all. Even if they want to get in, they only want to get in so they can, they can modify it and change it so it's no longer the kingdom of God. But here we get to what I think Paul just wanted to, he wishes, if he didn't have this whole problem to deal with, he would have spent the entire letter just writing about this. In verse 22 he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, there's certain verses in the Bible, just like I think there's certain songs that we sing in church, that they should do something to you. They should make you, like, feel something. They should make something go like, boom, this, this is incredible. But unfortunately, we, we, I don't think we always read scripture the way it needs to be read. But look at what he's saying there. He's just told them, walk by the Spirit. And he's connecting that to what he had said before about faith working through love. And now he's saying the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And he continues. And he's saying this in the middle of a church full of people fighting with each other, angry with each other, disagreeing. And he's saying, look, if you follow the gospel of grace, if you follow the faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. It's not just a, oh, yeah, okay, I got the spirit. You got the spirit? You know, you know if, if it was up to the state government, they'd make us have, you know, spirit cards so we could walk around and show that we had the spirit. But I can't show I have the spirit, and you can't show you have the spirit with, with a card or by just saying I have it. Paul's saying, you want, to, you want to know if you have the Spirit? Then you're not going to be hating the people you disagree with. You're going to be loving them. You're going to have patience with them. You're not going to drive more and more towards division and dissension. You're going to move towards peace. Gentleness. He's describing the kingdom. We focus so much on what the kingdom's going to look like. We always focus on what heaven's going to look like. I would much rather know what's the nature of heaven 
What's the nature of the kingdom? What am I going to feel? What am I going to experience? And Paul says, this is it. This is what you're going to experience. This is what you're going to know. Do you see, if you look at those earlier verses, if you look at those verses in, in verse 19, 20, 21, if you see the things in verses 19, 20, 21, and then you see the way he says this is the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the kingdom will be like, do you see how they can't coexist? How you cannot have the fruit of the Spirit if you're, if you're just always out of control with anger or you're out of control by, you know, with intoxicating substances. If you are, you know, you're, you're just always pursuing your own selfish ambitions. How that runs contrary to what Paul says here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the word goodness is probably better translated generosity, generous, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, I'm going to confess, I've looked for churches in my life, and I know a lot of people who've looked for churches in their lives, and people have asked me for advice about churches they should look for, and I've often asked them, like, oh, what are you looking for in a church? Never have I heard one say, I want a church that's marked by love, joy, <laughs> peace, patience. It's like, it's okay if we don't have patience, but we gotta have good coffee. You know, it's okay if we don't have, you know, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, but there needs to be a good youth ministry and a good children's ministry. That's really important. It's like, what are we looking for? What do we value? Paul's saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, it leads to the kingdom of God. In fact, in some ways, it is the way we can experience the kingdom of God on this earth. And if you compare these things, it's like, is this not a better world? Is this not a better world? If the world were a world marked by the love of God and all that comes with the love of God, would it not be a better war, a better world? The only war would be the war against the kingdom because it's a kingdom of peace. There would still be people but they would, that were in opposition, but they would be opposed to Love and joy and peace and patience. It's such a powerful picture that, that Paul gives us. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying, you want to know the fruit of the Spirit? This is how we know the fruit of the Spirit. He says, we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. But let me ask you this question. 
do we really value these things? When we look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, do we really value those things? Do we really want to live in that kind of world? Do we really want to be that kind of church? And you know, um, one of the convicting times for me was back in the 80s was the, was the rise of the, the dinosaur Barney. Um, you guys remember Barney, right? When he first came out, and uh, we have a picture of Barney, I think, that we're going to show. Yeah, there's Barney. Um, yeah, there's Barney. And, you know, there's Barney, and, and, you know, Barney was known for being, you know, kind and gentle and polite, talked about sharing. But I kid you not, there were so many Christians who hated Barney. And I used to be one of them. I used to just make fun of Barney, like, so stupid. And then I, one day I thought, like, wait a minute. What am I really upset about? He's telling kids to share. Oh, there's another picture of Barney. Somebody else you might know in the Barney video. Um, she's probably in the office next door yelling right now <laughs> at me. Um, but, you know, it's like, when I thought about it, it's like, what is Barney teaching kids? Share, care about one another, be polite, be kind, think of others. And I started to think like, hmm, where else did I hear that? Who else said that? Oh, darn it, Jesus. And what I realized is that I had bought into a culture that said those things yeah, okay, they're, go- they're okay, and it's okay to talk about, but do I really want them in my life? Do I really want that kind of world? Do I really want that kind of church? Do I really want to be that kind of person? We need to ask ourselves that. You see, we're not perfect. We're still gripped by the flesh, even in the hands of Jesus. And that's why we must have grace. That's why we need the grace of God continually poured out upon us, and it's the grace we extend to one another. And I told you at the beginning, you know, we need to change the definition of winning. And this is what Jesus does, and Paul tells us here. This is winning. Winning is when we have have a community We have a healthy community that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And the more prevalent the fruit of the Spirit, the more abundant it becomes in each of our lives and the more abundant it becomes in our community as a whole, that's winning. That's the only scenario where everybody wins. And so it is possible. But it's only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done and will do in our lives. This last verse doesn't come from Galatians. It comes from Revelation. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is how John is 
is, is shown the kingdom. He's shown the new, the new Jerusalem. And it's wonderful, you know, you see the throne of God, you, you see the Lamb, and you might go, well, where, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is represented in the river, the water of life. And there's a lot of discussion because Revelation is hard to understand about what everything means, but I really think when it talks about the 12 kinds of fruit, it's not necessarily talking about these fruit, but it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And that this is what brings healing to the nations. The only way that we all win is when our definitions change. But more than that, our desires have to change. Our ability has to change. Our goals have to change. And as you might guess, if for all that to take place, we have to change. But we cannot change ourselves. We can only change ourselves in a superficial, topical way. If we're really going to change, if we're really going to change the self of who we are, we are changed only by God and only through faith in Jesus Christ and only by the work of the Spirit. It's a wonderful thing, this kingdom. It's a wonderful thing, the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that we all will increasingly know more and more of what that means in our lives.